Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. In Matthew chapter 27, we have the account of Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. And there's another figure that we are introduced to in this trial scene. His name is Barabbas. He is an interesting figure in this account. And I believe that there is some significance in looking at the lives of that are before us, particularly the life of Christ on the one hand and the life of Barabbas on the other, especially as they relate to this trial scene. And so what I want us to do is begin by looking at verse 11. We're going to note the contrast because Matthew provides us with a contrast in the two lives before us. First, we see the life of the Savior. The second, the life of a sinner. By way of looking at the life of Jesus, note, if you would, what is said in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him not one word. So that the governor marveled greatly. I want you to think with me for just a moment about the spotless reputation of the Savior. Go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and find, if you can, one credible piece of evidence presented in a negative light against Jesus. Really, when you look at the life of Jesus, there are two things that come to mind. First, His works. The Lord did a lot of great works. As a matter of fact, He would say in John chapter 5, that the very works that he did bore witness that God had sent him. But look at, at the body of work that Jesus did while here upon this earth. All of the great miracles that he performed, demonstrating his power over various realms of life, from matter to sickness to disease to demons, even demonstrating his power over death itself. All of these great miracles, all of the great signs that Jesus performed authenticated his claims that he was the divine Son of God. And then think about his words. John would tell us in John chapter 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man. Simon Peter In John chapter 6, 
had the opportunity to hear Jesus declare of himself that he was the bread of life. Now, based on that testimony, based on the fact that he was saying, I am the bread of life, many of the Jews turned their back. They turned their backs on him. And so Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of life eternal. Simon Peter understood that Jesus was somebody very special. All of the great words that Jesus spoke, everything that he said, everything that he did, well, they're set forth for our inspection, for our examination. When it's all said and done, the only thing that you can conclude is he had a spotless reputation. As a matter of fact, when you look at Pilate, and you begin to read through this account, Pilate said of Jesus, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. In verse 24, I think that says something about the spotless reputation of Jesus. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus did no sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin. He was sinless. His reputation was pristine. But then note, if you would, we talk about the notable reputation of Christ. But then the notorious reputation of Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was the complete opposite of Jesus. On the one hand, you have the Savior who was sinless, and here you have a sinner. In verse 15, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. How would you like to be thought of as a notorious prisoner. That gives you some idea into the reputation of this man Barabbas. Now John tells us in chapter 18 verse 40 of his account that Barabbas had been accused of insurrection. Here was a man that was, was involved in inciting riots, creating an uproar. And also, John tells us he was accused of murder. Mark, in his account, over in chapter 15 and about verse 8, he identifies Barabbas as a robber. And so you get the picture here. There is a stark contrast between these two individuals standing before Pontius Pilate in the judgment hall. On the one hand, you have the noble reputation, the spotless reputation of the Son of God. And then on the other hand, you have the soiled reputation of a sinner, a man by the name of Barabbas. Now having said that, let's note now the choices. Because as Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, the people, as you well know, the Jewish people, 
They are insistent on finding Jesus guilty before Pontius Pilate. They want to see him put to death. And so, what Pilate is going to say is, you have a choice. It is a personal choice given. Now, it was given some 2,000 years ago to those people assembled within the halls of Pilate. It is a personal choice today. So having said that, note if you would verse 17. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Christ is a designation of the anointed one. Jesus was sent by God to fulfill heaven's will. That is the redemptive plan. Now Barabbas wants to know, who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release, do you want me to release Barabbas? Or do you want me to release Jesus who is called the Christ? Look at verse 18. For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him. You see, Pilate, even Pilate, with all of his flaws, perceived the evil mentality of the Jewish people. Verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. Here's another indicator of the pristine reputation of Jesus, even his own wife said, don't have anything to do with Jesus. Why? Because he is a just man and because I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. So here you have the account. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. Pilate understands that Jesus is a just man. He's an innocent man. His own wife understands or perceives that he is an innocent man. He's a just man. And so he asked the question, who do you want me to release? It was a custom to release a prisoner. Well, they, they cried out for Barabbas. Note, if you would, again, what Pilate asked, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Here was a personal decision confronting the people of this day. It's a personal decision today. You and I, we have to answer the same question. What are we going to do with Jesus called Christ? The evidence is before us. The evidence was before them. They, they had seen Christ with their own eyes. They had heard him speak. They were not unaware 
of the great miracles and the signs that he had performed, the things that Jesus had done, had not been done in a corner. They were well known. The evidence was in. All they had to do was draw the right conclusion. You and I today, we have the evidence before us. We can go back. We can read history. We know for a fact there was a Jesus of history. Biblically speaking, we can take this record, we can weigh the evidence, and then we have to draw the conclusions. What are we going to do with Jesus called Christ? Here were, here were the options before them, the options before the people of Jesus' day, same options open to us as well. Number one, they had to decide between truth and error. They had to make the decision. Are we going to follow truth or error? Now I want to believe that most of us, are, I want to believe that all of us are honest people. And I want to believe that given the evidence before us, we're going to side with truth every time. Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free in John 8 verse 32. Weigh the evidence. Truth always rises above error. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of divine truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. These people that were standing within the hall of Pilate, they had the perfect embodiment of truth. They could weigh the evidence. Pilate, what did Pilate say? He said, I am innocent of the blood, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Pilate knew that for envy, Jesus had been delivered into his presence. His own wife acknowledged that Jesus was just. The religious leaders, they had to know. And yet, they did not choose truth over error. Secondly, we must choose right over wrong. Again, weigh the evidence. We can either choose right, what is right, or we can choose what is wrong. These people made a wrong choice. The Bible says there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Sometimes we make unwise decisions. Sometimes we fail to employ logic. Look at, look at this scene. Before them stood that which was right and true, and they chose that which was wrong. Today, many people do the same thing. I would also suggest not only are we confronted with making a choice between truth and error, right and wrong, but we have to choose between light and darkness. 
Think about that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to follow the light of the world, or are you going to follow darkness? Now, Jesus said during his earthly ministry back in John chapter 3 that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some people, for whatever reason, are not going to follow the light because they love spiritual darkness. I have an idea that the people that were within the halls of Pilate, when it was all said and done, some of those people simply loved spiritual darkness. Now the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You ever known somebody who, who will acknowledge to you they believe in the Bible, they believe that what the Bible says is right, they believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God. They believe in God the Father. Then they'll turn right around and say, but I'm not going to live for Him. I'm not going to follow the Bible. I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to choose to honor the Son of God because I like my life just the way it is. I like living in sin. Or just some people like that. I would also say, that we have to make a choice, we have to make the decision to follow good or evil. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul would say, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. He would go on to say, Abstain from the very appearance or form of evil. You and I, we have to, we have to decide. Are we going to follow good or evil? Right or wrong, truth or error, light or darkness. The choice is ours. But then note, if you would, in the third place, the consequences. The sobering evaluation. When we talk about the consequences, they're really spelled out, beginning in verse 24. In verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. First of all, the crowd. Those who were within that hall their response was, let Christ be crucified and we'll suffer the consequences. It was really an indictment, a death sentence, if you please. The sentence, of course, was guilty because their response, his blood be on us and our children, if only they had known what they were saying. But then, if you would, note the criminal. Here is the interesting part of this narrative. 
You have before you the pristine reputation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A man openly acknowledged as innocent, as just. And then you have this notorious criminal. Notorious reputation of a man by the name of Barabbas. And here's what Matthew said in verse 26. Then he released Barabbas to them. What they do? They set him free. Can you imagine in our day and time having somebody who is a known murderer? We would classify him as a criminal. He is a murderer. He is somebody who instigates riots. He is somebody who is a robber. Can you imagine the courts of our land, and sadly many times the courts of our land do turn guilty people out on the streets. But, could, but can you imagine the brazen willingness of somebody in charge of a judicial system setting a man like that out on the streets? That's exactly what happened. How'd you like to have Barabbas living next door to you? And then, thirdly, the Christ. Note what, note what they did to him. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What'd they do with Jesus? They sentenced him to death. That's what they did to him. Now, by way of a self-examination, what we need to see from this narrative is that based upon the death sentence imposed on Jesus, it has made it possible for us to enjoy some liberties unknown until that point in time in history. Did you know that based on the death of Jesus, you and I have the opportunity to escape the consciousness of sin? Go back to the old law. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that there was a remembrance made of sin every year. He said in verse 4, in those sacrifices it is not possible to take away sin. That is, in the sacrifices of animals. And so there was that constant reminder, that stigma, that remembrance made again every year of sin and unrighteousness in one's life. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we today can escape the consciousness of sin. Secondly, through his death, we have the opportunity to escape the corruption of sin. Look if you would, look at the life of Barabbas. Barabbas was a guilty man. Barabbas, if anyone should have been subject to the death penalty, it should have been Barabbas. And yet, what did Barabbas do? He walked. He literally walked. Based on the death of Jesus Christ, you and I have the opportunity, the blessings of walking from sin. 
We escape, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, the corruption of sin. We escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. In 2 Peter chapter 2, when Peter talks about those who have come to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, they have escaped the pollutions that are in the world through that knowledge. Well, based on the death of Jesus, you and I today, we have the opportunity, the privilege of escaping the corruptions, the pollutions associated with sin and unrighteousness. We can walk, if you please, just like Barabbas did. A third thing, we can escape the condemnation associated with sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in sin. How is it that you and I can stand uncondemned before God? The only explainable answer is Jesus Christ and His blood. Look at Barabbas again. What did Barabbas do? He walked. Barabbas was a man condemned. He should have died. And yet based on the willingness of the people, Pontius Pilate let him walk. Now spiritually speaking, based on the death of Jesus Christ, you and I today, whereas we should have stood condemned to die for sins committed in our own life, the Bible says we're no longer condemned. Why? Because the blood of Christ is availing in our life. And finally... We escape the consequences of sin. Here's the real danger of sin. And here's, here's really the beauty of what Christ did on Calvary for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 verse 23. The sad end to a life lived in sin is eternal death, separation from Almighty God. What about the consequences of sin? If you and I do not do something about sin in our life, we've got some serious problems when we come to the judgment. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we can escape the penalty of sin. It has been said there's a payday someday. That payday has to do with the wages of sin. And yet those who are in Christ Jesus, who are living faithfully for Him, the promise is eternal life. And so, here's really the question. When we step back and look within the halls of Pilate, the question Pilate asked is profound. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called Christ? All of us have to make the decision. We will either receive him or renounce him. What are you going to do with him? Hopefully and prayerfully, we will make the right choice. You see, the Lord would have you to follow him. Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. If you die in your sins, the Lord said, where I am, 
there you cannot come. Would you be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to give up sin in your life, to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin might be washed away? The beauty of the death of Christ is that sin can be dealt with. It has been dealt with. The question is, has it been dealt with in your life? If not, we would appeal to you. Peter said on Pentecost Day, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love Hi, Mike Hickson. We hope you've enjoyed the Anchor of the Soul radio broadcast. Our worship services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ begin at 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. Our Sunday evening service starts at 6 p.m. If you're in the Olive Branch area, we would love to have you visit with us. Services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ are streamed live over the Internet each week. Please visit our website for additional details. That website is www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Join us again next Sunday morning on this station at 8.30 a.m. for the Anchor of the Soul. This is a presentation of Spiritual Sword Media.